The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders in the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. SeaDeck has a worldwide network of certified installers to help you design a custom kit for your boat. For free samples and more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves Seadeck. And now, it's showtime. Unbelievable. Recognized as the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast. With the noise of the North himself, Dano the Mano. Thanks for tuning in to episode 92 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Mano, recording from my boathouse studio down in Windermere, Florida, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Boulder Boats. The word is out, and Boulder Boats was named WSIA Dealer of the Year just last month at the Water Sports Industry Association's 2018 Leadership Awards. Now, Boulder Boats has three locations in the West and Southwest U.S., Mesa, Arizona, Henderson, Nevada, and now Visalia, California, and they carry a full stock of Malibu and Axis boats. If you're looking for something a little bit more already loved, Boulder Boats has a ton of previously owned boats ready to ship worldwide. Stop in the store next time you're in the area. Say hello to their five-star staff guys like Neil Wahlberg and Dan Lee. Or check them out online at boulderboats.com. Well, again, today is episode 92, and I have an awesome guest this time. One of Toad Water Sports' most respected wakeboard filmmakers of all time, Sean Kilgis. For those of you guys not in the know... Kilgis is the man behind many of the sport's most all-time movies. Films like Butter Effect, Defy, Prime. He's a past Wake Awards and Alliance Video of the Year award winner, along with multiple other awards, including Section of the Year and some Outside the Industry Film Festival awards as well. Sean is an amazing human with a huge heart. And currently, he's been on a bit of a hiatus from Wake filmmaking, but he's busier than ever. I was pumped to get this interview with him and stoked to find out what he's been up to. Sean's done more for the sport than many know. He's shed blood, sweat, tears, and countless hours of making athletes superstars over the years. And on many occasions, the budget came straight from his pocket. I sometimes think people forget how hard it is to produce the highest quality of product, but over the past almost two decades, Kilgus has delivered. It was great to see Sean. I hadn't seen him for a while, and I hope you guys all enjoy. I had an awesome time recording with him over at his house in Claremont, Florida, and it's great to have Sean Kilgus back here in the great state of FLA. So I have been staying busy. I just got back down here to Central Florida. I was in Chicago last week. But before that, I was in Arizona with Action Water Sports. I talked about it on the Daniel Watkins podcast. I was out there for the annual wakeboard rail jam at the Arizona Boat Show. Robbie Brown brings me out every year. I had fun announcing, and the setup was legit. Trevor Poodle Marquette put it all together, and the top guys from around the state were on hand to shred. It was my first time getting to actually in person meet the likes of Nick Bakke and Cole Crace. Uh, these are two guys you definitely have to watch out for. Nick on the wakeboard side, Cole on the wake skate side. These guys come off that two-tower cable park in Parker, Arizona. Legends like Jimmy Wolf were on hand. Uh, little Gromit, uh, the up-and-coming Hudson Haney. Justin Tyke, Bob Gort with Western Winches, 
Chris Garvey, Ben Buchanan at Boulder Boats, Blake Disney, Kevin Green. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody there. They all held it down. There was a good handful of people there. They were all entertained, and a lot of people were introduced to wakeboarding for the first time. So it was great exposure for the sport. I also got to hang out with all my friends at Boulder Boats and SC Wake, uh, plus uh, my pal Brandon Hesterman was out there taking photos and video. He also hooked me up with some custom swag, some new towels, his new venture, Photo Beach Towel. They're available online at photobeachtowel.co. I think the name says it all, but check out the website because these things are rad. I'm going to have a few of them in my hand to uh, give away to some lucky listeners, so make sure that you guys follow that. I also met a fellow podcaster named Jake. Uh, Jake has a show called The Dirty Dooner Show. He has a great following, and he's only been recording shows for less than a year. The Dirty Dooner is a weekly podcast, and even though I'm not fully into the dune or dirt lifestyle, and I don't really do much off-roading, I went ahead and I listened to a few shows, and they're really well done. So go out and give Jake and The Dirty Dooner Show a listen. Also, Jake inspired me to try something new on my show. On every one of his podcasts, he reads reviews from you, the listeners. And I've been getting some great reviews from you guys for a long time. I think I've got somewhere around 70 reviews. Obviously, I'm always looking for more. But uh, these are straight from iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Uh, I'm just going to go back to to March 23rd. This first review comes from Cricket35. It's a five-star review. And uh, it's titled, The Best Way to Keep Up with Toad Water Sports. Cricket35 writes, I've learned so much about the ins and outs of the professional side of wakeboarding in just a few episodes. There's so much more going on than what is presented via contests and social media. And Dano brings it all forward. Through this podcast, I've been able to feel even more connected to the riders I already follow and learn a little bit about how they got where they are today. I'm hooked, and this show will definitely be in my regular podcast rotation. Thanks, Dano. Thank you, Cricket35. Next one comes from the Dirty Dooner himself. Dano is the Manny. I'm sure he put Mano, but sometimes it just auto-corrects. Another five-star review. And the Dirty Dooner writes, Met Dano at the AZ Boat Show last weekend and listened to my first show today. Dano does an amazing job keeping the show rolling and providing great content. Keep up the good work. You as well, Jake, and the Dirty Dooner, the Dirty Dooner podcast, the Dirty Dooner show. Make sure you guys go and give him a listen. Uh, DSJ, another five-star review, The Voice of Wake. I grew up in the Midwest and now, along with my wife, own West Rock Wake Park, which is not too far from where Dano grew up. The more I listen to this podcast, the more grateful I am for Dano's influence on every area of Toad Water Sports. As you can hear in each conversation, he immensely values the relationships he's developed over the years and countless stories to go along with his journey with so many in the industry. Most importantly, though, he wants to share his experience, knowledge, skills, and love for water skiing to his best to grow the sport for years to come. Thank you, Dano. Keep pressing on, brother. Thank you, DSJ. And I haven't been able to get up to West Rock Wake Park, but it's only about an hour from my parents' house. So next time I'm in Rockford, I'm going to hit it up, and hopefully you guys do as well. This next five-star review comes from Kevco. Dano Rips. Keep it rocking. Thanks, Kevco. Be sure if you haven't gone to iTunes or the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone to rate and review the show, You do it and do it now, and then maybe on this next episode, I'll go ahead and read your review live for everybody to hear. You can also listen free to the podcast on pretty much any podcast app on Android. Once you find a podcast app, just search the Golden Mike Podcast. If you don't find it, we'll find another podcast app, download it, and search again. 
Also, all 92 episodes are available on SoundCloud as well as noiseofthenorth.com. To keep the Golden Mike podcast free to you, the listeners, let's go ahead and thank the sponsors again, SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, WSIA, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, Wakeboarding.com, GoPuck, Hyperlight, Conley, Leadwake, Ronix, O'Brien, and Slingshot. One last way to support is to buy a t-shirt or dad hat from me. If you're interested in that or you just want to talk to me, you can email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Find me on Facebook at the Golden Mike Podcast, on Twitter at the Golden underscore Mike, and at the Dano T. Mano, on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. That was certainly a mouthful, but thanks for taking it all in, my friends. And now, without any further ado... I give you Sean Kilgus right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. You're kind of old school because here's the thing. I remember working at a shop in Chicagoland in the early 2000s and you were already starting, right? Didn't you? Yeah. Your first movie was like, got to be like 2002-ish or earlier. It's crazy to think. My first movie was called A Line Dependency and it was was a Northwest wakeboard kind of born project that... Um, was just, it was like Mike and Nick Ennin and Brent Starr and Brett V and all the, Danny Bergman, all these Brent, you know, all the guys that, that I came up with kind of locally looking up to and then wanting to ride with them. Cause they were like, I mean, they were semi pros or they were getting product. I mean, it was the closest thing that I had seen other than maybe the magazines at what a pro wakeboarder or aspiring pro wakeboarder look like. Um, so that was like a local film. And then, then that kind of translated into, doing the next film, which was Concussion Project. And that's what, and that was like, two, I think that came out in 2002. So we shot it in 2001. All that, at that same time, we were doing Northwest Sessions with Rob Hyatt and all these guys and, and, and just really enjoying the community of our local wakeboard scene. We'd travel on the weekends and we'd film. We'd go to Idaho and we'd film with like Rick Knott or just these other local like semi-pro guys that would do the contest and then we'd film for the movie while we're there for a week. So it was some of the best memories ever. And you're and you're kind of coming up in that second generation of um, of like Northwest riders because like a lot of the pioneers, Bill McCaffrey, Greg Nelson, I mean, those those guys kind of paved the way for you up there as well, right? You know, I would think so. I mean, more so for like guys like Mike and Nick Ennin and, um, you know, Brent Starr was kind of on his own at Mason Lake and he came up with Dave Isaacson and they kind of had their own group, you know. So but, you were part of like the Oregon scene, right? Or were you Oregon? No, I was, or in, I was the... Washington. Okay. Yeah. So I came up in Washington state and I grew up on Horsehead Bay, like wakeboarding. I didn't, I didn't grow up on Horsehead Bay, but I grew up wakeboarding behind a little Boston whaler with a buddy of mine. And is that on Sammamish? No, that's like, so Sammamish is more towards Seattle. This is more South and it's in the Puget Sound. So it's saltwater. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, but you know, just like learn bunny hop one eighties behind an old flight 69, like 96 and, and just falling in love with the sport. But Wakeboarding for me was always kind of just where I could get. I didn't have a boat growing up, so I would just like go stand on the edge of a dock in Horsehead Bay with a gas can and and my board, and I'd hitch rides. And I'd and eventually I had a a ten foot pole and a fat sack that I'd bring with me as well. And uh, I met these amazing people, Tom and Carol, who used to have a, a barefoot two hundred Mastercraft, and they would literally sack out the boat, trim the motor. And then I'd learned back rolls and I learned a Rayleigh behind their boat and a 360. And, and that was back in like 96. Right. So I've been wakeboarding a long, long time, probably since 95 was the first time I did it. Or no, no, 93. Cause it was like the old HOXP. And you didn't, and you, your family, you guys don't come from any kind of like toad water sports background at all. No, we, we like, I literally was into skateboarding. I was into snowboarding. I got into snowboarding and um, in wakeboarding the same year. 93 was actually the first time I went to the ski resort. Had a, you know, twin tip GNU Ferro that I ground down so it was a twin tip because it used to just be asymmetrical or whatever. Sure. Um, cut my bindings and my high backs down. So it was kind of like that jib generation 93. And then I got into wakeboarding that next summer just, you know, because it was a lot like, it was like just like, okay, so I can skateboard or I can snowboard on water. Ollie jump around, do 180s, and uh, you know, and that's how my passion for wakeboarding really began. So, like in those early days, did you have any visions of a film or anything like that, or was it, or were you like aspiring to possibly be a pro rider or something like that? Well, no, I mean, I think for me, I knew that it wasn't something that I think I got to do enough to get good enough, and I also didn't. It didn't come easy. I was kind of a bigger guy that like 
you know, I could learn a flip, but it was a lot of work. And so I knew it wasn't going to be something I ever did professionally, but I wasn't really at the time worried about that. I just wanted to kind of be on the water. Um, and it was, like I said, it was a lot like snowboarding. And so it was kind of my summertime snowboarding and a way to get out and do, you know, kind of the, the, what I love doing the most, you know? So how was the scene up in the Northwest back in like the mid nineties for, for wakeboarding, maybe even compared to how it is now? Well, so I used to watch, I used to watch, um, when I first really got into wakeboarding, I got to meet like, well, like I went to high school with this Jason Elmore and he was like, rode for Joby back in the day. He was one of the original guys at board stock, like riding in the event and in 96. And, um, and he was, he was the guy that I would like looked up to and, and, and Brent Starr was a kid I heard of that was a good rider too. And these guys all, you know, were kind of spread out throughout Washington. So we, I heard of these different little pockets of wakeboarders and stuff. And so I guess I, I heard that there was a scene coming up in different places and I just always wanted to kind of go meet those guys and eventually got to go ride with them. And that's how I kind of got planted my roots, you know? How did you perceive the scene that you were seeing from the, uh, from the videos and from the magazines? Yeah, I guess, I guess my, truly, I loved wakeboarding so much. I remember going to Boardstock in 96, coming back with like, I got an O'Brien evil twin. I was so in love with wakeboarding and I didn't even think about videos. I never was going to become a pro. My first back roll I landed was at Boardstock. I had tried him and tried him and tried him and I finally landed one at Boardstock. Were you connecting with any of the riders there? What's that? Were you connecting with like any of the pros there at Boardstock? For sure. I mean like, cause I, I knew I'd known Brent Starr of him and I, we kind of like got to hang out in Portland Pro Tour and then I actually hitchhiked down to Boardstock that year and I was 19 and just had like probably a hundred bucks cash and just did it and it was like, I got to stay on the Icon houseboat and then I stayed on the O'Brien houseboat and I got to meet all these people and try boards. I got to go be in the boat when Dave Isaacson did an S bend over Kobe Mikasich on a jet ski who was just like, what up Dave? Like, and it was like the coolest thing. Cause for me it was like, it was discovering something I was in love with. And then I was like, oh my God, this is my people. And it, and to be able to be at board stock. And I was actually in Ron Seidenglanz, um, from sideways, one of his for called 24 seven. I was, I was, had been drinking and uh, partying and, and I was like doing some scene from Rescue Rangers of Mole and I was like, and they were all messed up, man. It was right before a slam section for board stock. And I never once thought I'm going to make wakeboard movies or I'm going to be around these guys past this. It was just, that was me finding for the first time, truly discovering how much I loved wakeboarding was probably like 96, you know? Yeah. This is very cool. Uh, You and I haven't really seen each other since the premiere of prime you flew me out to seattle things were crazy and you you sent me off and that was like three years ago so i i do have to say like it's really really good to see you man like it's uh it has been a really long time and stuff and um i I do want to get to i want to get to to all of where have you been and what you've been up to um but like something that I was thinking about on the ride over here is like some of the parallels of your and my career. It's like, it's, it's crazy. Cause you and I are on completely different paths. You know, I'm the announcer. I'm out there in front of these crowds. Everyone's hearing me and you're the guy. We're both making people famous in a way. Right. Yeah. For um, sure. But you're, you're behind the lens and behind the scenes. But I was like thinking about like the amount of brands and people that you and I have worked for and like, you're I feel like you're like me and you have this loyalty thing you're a very loyal person I'm a very loyal person probably probably to a fault I think (laughs) yeah like I think we spend so much time pleasing other people but it's also we realize that we need those people to do what we love you know like I said driving over here I thought it was it was really cool and I never really thought exactly uh, I never really thought about how um how different our jobs were but at the same time, how similar. So like with that being said, like how have you been able to like keep that loyalty and then work with all of these different brands and stuff? Well, I think for me it was, I I loved doing video and I loved the journey and it was never an easy road. I mean, every gaining a brand was, you know, was not always an easy thing and you had to work so hard. A lot of it came from, the loyalties I probably had with athletes and sometimes it helped build a relationship with their sponsors. And back when it was before social media, it was all about the relationships with the athletes, which got you to, you know, and maybe the magazines and then you 
kind of build your reputation as I'm a legitimate filmer or please take me seriously. And then the sponsor like, all right, you know, checks on the way and you'd be like, all right, cool. Now you're, now they're committed to you. You're committed to them to deliver on that. And, you know, it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always perfect. And I, you know, I always tried to aspire to do better and overachieve, you know, to, and it was, a lot of it was because I was so passionate about filmmaking and being such a better filmmaker that I wanted to bring that same, and even to this day, like I was doing SWAT stuff um, the other days, filming SWAT teams for this promo, promo piece. And I still apply the same passion and energy and stoke that I would back when I was making my own wakeboard films to something like that because I truly want to give people who give me the opportunity to do something, give them everything I have. There's no ego there. There's no, you know, I, I of course, I'm appreciative that they, that they gave me the shot, but I also know they expect me to deliver on that. And so I tried to always maintain that. So every brand I've worked with, Malibu, HO Hyperlite, Ronix, I mean, I've worked with Nautique, Mastercraft, I've worked with every, every boat, man, Super, I've worked with every boat manufacturer, every board manufacturer, Fox, Oakley, I always wanted to try to overachieve what they expected from me. And so sometimes I took it as far as, you know, maybe I took it too far. I don't know. I mean, sometimes we'd win awards and be up on stage at Wake Awards and getting a, you know, a web edit for a Fox thing and then movie of the year for Defy. And then, you know, so, I mean, it was just some of the most amazing moments, but it took those partnerships. It took those opportunities to over you know overachieve what they expected from me and I kept doing that over and over and over again yeah well I think you also are a guy who who really did the work to earn it because if you go back and you look through you know your your discography I think is, is what it would be called how many movies do you how many movies do you actually have out did I think do, I like, did eight? like not eight nine? or nine movies yeah and, can't actually remember but and yeah. you take a look at the guys that you put worth into in the early days the guys that maybe were flying under the radar your Keith Lyman's your Ben Greenwood's yeah, right for sure you know I even you know Aaron Reed like exactly like these guys that that you know maybe weren't on this level in 2002 but you were putting them in your movies. And then in 2005, these are some of the biggest Writer names. of the year, Benny G. Like I think Butter Effect was probably the movie that I think really put Benny G on the map. I mean, along, it was relentless. It was a timing thing. Justin Stevens was working with Ben for Relentless at the same time. But like, I feel like from what people told me, the world told me back in reviews or Wake World or whatever said that Butter Effect was like their favorite film. Benny G's section was insane. And that I feel like was what led to him becoming the next year like Rider of the Year. Right. Because people finally got to go he was a writer who was passionate about the way he rode the way that I, I was passionate about my films, like where we would err on the side of this is how this is we're it's almost like an, you're trying to be an artist and you want people to respect your art. And Benny G wanted people to respect the art of how he rode. And he respected other guys like Randall and these other people who like really were all about the same thing. They, they were willing to risk, maybe don't pursue contests so they could be a free rider. And that was a whole world that existed back then that doesn't exist anymore was people being paid to free ride and to just go shoot photos and shoot video sections. And Benny G was at that point and absolutely, but Benny G gave me a place to sleep on a board bag in his, in his house when I didn't have a pot to and he gave me a, a place to, he put me up and he helped me get on my feet. So it was always kind of like, you talk about that loyalty and you talk about that debt. It's like, I always felt like I had a responsibility to give back to the people who helped me. And I still, to this day, it's one of the things that, you know, I always want to be known for is that I'm grateful for what people have done for me and to give back as much as they've given me. You know? And I and I think you will be and I think you will and you already are known for that. I mean, like I said, going back to it, I mean, looking at your first looking at your first films and seeing who the guys who are in it and you could have easily or I'm sure you would have been happy to have filmed with some of the biggest names right when you were you know getting your feet off the ground or whatever but it took a little bit of time and then you take a look at the at the history of what you did and it shows you you gained and earned the respect of all of those riders I mean Danny Harf I mean what you started filming for Defy around what 2000 and I think we started filming for Defy I mean where it started really for me and Danny was was um probably in 2004 I want to say he was involved he got he was actually in running on empty and um, 
And I think I got to meet him maybe around the time I was filming my side, but Running on Empty was where that we actually filmed. Went to his house, and went to his parents' house, and we started filming together. And we edited the song to his section to the spooks, and it was just awesome. Um, that was the year I really started, you know, going out and filming with the boys and like Rusty and, and everybody. But then I think it really was like Watson and Danny, a lot of it in for Butter Effect. I mean, they helped, they helped. I think solidify. I already brought, I was like, I'm bringing Benny G cause he's my boy and he helped me. And, and so we had made that commitment and Keith and who are still on their way up. Right. Right. But then you have guys like Watson and, and Danny who kind of, and Byerly too, like reached kind of down to me and said, all right, man, I'll take you, we'll pull you up into these, the higher ranks of filmmaking and go on these big trips and do these big events and stuff. So Danny really gave me his full, eff- full effort and, and butter effect. And as a result, it was like an amazing project and i think that it showed both i think it showed him that i was committed to making great films and kind of he gave me a chance from that and defy really came from you know we were both so inspired by travis rice's movie that's it that's all and danny was you know such an innovator just like travis rice in my opinion and what the way that he wanted to ride and invent and create style was so important and how you did things and so defy really came from that and we also we kicked off the movie when the economy crashed and we didn't have a dime and danny was financially fronting helicopters and just trying to and i was my time was my way of doing it is like all right i'll put my time in and you put your riding and he helped us pay get the ball rolling but once we did that that the movie just started happening and we started finding money and then it just became defy and know? and and fast forward wake awards what was it 2011 i want to say it was wake awards 2011 because we showed the trailer and it was three months or so before the movie came out and um because i think it i think it was 2011 i think it came, came out i think we won the movie of the year 2012 right yeah, i think it was 2012 so 2011 we showed the trailer and we had most of the movie in the can. Actually, the whole movie was done. We were just editing at that point. Danny even flew up to Washington, was like hanging at my buddy Gigi's place. And we were, you know, hit the hot tub, relax, do a workout, edit for eight hours, do voiceovers. Danny was a big part of the creative process too with Defy. And he was so stoked. And I remember, I remember when we dropped the trailer, we were so nervous. I mean, we knew we, liked, we loved it. We knew that it was like mind-blowing footage. And it was like, oh my God, this is amazing, right? But we had a freaking standing ovation for the Defy trailer at Wake Awards in 2011. And that was probably, at, up to that point, the the best moment ever of my wakeboarding career, of like of making movies. Right. Was to get a standing ovation for a trailer for Danny Harf's movie. Yeah. That was like the most exciting moment of my life at that point, you know? And, and to like fast forward again and to win movie of the year, greatest moment of my career for sure with Danny Harf to be on stage to accept that and we won like soundtrack of the year for at X dance and I mean movie of the year even with with Alliance and I mean it was just it was an exciting exciting time like probably the most exciting of my career at that point with defy and with with your movies like how much do the riders have to do with the editing um, was it more in the past than it was, you know, as you as you move like to Prime? Did the writers help a little bit less when Prime came out? Like as far as like in the editing room versus like yeah, back I think, in the old I mean, days. Yeah, I mean, back with with Defy, Danny played a, a a pretty big role. I mean, he was definitely involved and in over he would oversee and kind of give his opinion. But a lot of the creative process of editing is just being able to just go in and do what you see, like try to pursue your vision because it's kind of sometimes in a technical manner, you just need to put one clip after the other and you need to make the music and the video flow together and the story come together. And it's it's really hard if you have people over your shoulder saying, hey, what about this, what about this? Because you can't, you're like, I need to see my vision through. Okay, so um, you, you started as a wakeboarder and here you are, one of the most respected uh, filmmakers in the, the the water sports scene of all time. And obviously you're doing so much stuff outside, but when did you first pick up a camera? How did that all start for you? Man, um, that's funny. Uh, I was. It's always brought up uh, back home by the Bergman family. Uh, Danny Bergman's one of my lifelong buddies and his family was an intricate you know, family that helped me get my start. And that was actually the family that put a camera in my hands for the first time. And I remember I, it was well before I was ever planning on doing any filming, but it was kind of Northwest Sessions. It was still like that early days, 90, probably like 99, 2000. 
um, I filmed at a sessions event. I filmed whatever. And I remember, I remember just being really bad at it. Like I didn't get good footage. And they always bring that up to me today that they're like, man, if you ever thought that you would ever become something based on your first footage, you know, it would, it would have been horrible. So that was actually the first time I filmed, but my real, my real start was I got a, I just borrowed like student loan money, went and bought a TRV 900 Sony three chip, you know, little mini DV camera, um, with a water housing. And I started filming the Ennins and, you know, Brent Starr and started filming guys with this camera. And it was just a zoom little camera, but man, it, it got me everything that I started to do with line dependency. I shot that all and shot and edited an iMovie. So it just looks like dog. Um, but it was my, Hey man, I, I use iMovie for all my edits. <laughs> yeah. Well, back in the day it was horrible, but now iMovie is actually like considerably better Then I found final cut pro. And that's when I started being able to do so much more. So, yeah. Okay. So you have also been a guy that I, I feel has been up with the technology in filming. And, you know, I would almost, I would almost think that you the way that you're so into the technology of the filming stuff, it always seems like you've got the cutting edge cameras. Uh, like you seem to be the first dude who was like going around with like the gimbal and the red and stuff like that, that, that I can recall. Um, but not really coming from a film background. I mean, did you do film school or anything like that? You know, it's funny cause I never, it's, it wasn't until about three years ago or so that I actually wanted to like see what I could do in filmmaking as a filmmaker. Like what can else can I do? And that's when I really kind of stepped away from wakeboarding and was like, you know, I need to grow. I need to see what's past this. And, but before that it was, it wasn't, I never went to film school. I didn't, I didn't really, I was passionate about wakeboarding. I was passionate about making wakeboarding films and I was passionate. My favorite, the number one priority was probably to make the most amazing films that I could make. I was so inspired by, by first probably Ron side and glance from sideways. Cause he was so, his films are so awesome. 12 honkies. I mean, hype, they were just so well done. The music he would choose and the way he'd shoot them was just so amazing. And then I became friends with Justin Stevens and I was like, and then this is the guy that brought the first like phantom style camera in a helicopter and shot stuff for like relentless or whatever. And I remember just being like our high speed film cameras. And I remember being like, okay, Justin is the man. Like he is so creative and so, I mean, he's an amazing human being, but beyond that, he was so good at filmmaking that I was like, I need to do that. I have an obligation. And I already shot film. So I felt like I had already earned the respect of these guys that I shot film. I understood the process and I wanted to be better. And, um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as I got on that kind of same trail as Justin or anybody else, I wanted to like bring a jib arm to a rail, like a big 16 foot jib arm or high speed cameras or helicopters. And I, I mean, I, it's funny, everyone makes fun of me for helicopters, but I had a helicopter for my very first movie I ever did. Cause I looked at other films like Mark Bames, you know, shafted and it was helicopters and all. And I was like, I want to make films like they make films. And even though I had a little mini DV camera and I was shooting with a semi-pro rider, it was my way of doing the best I could at making the highest level production. Quick break, folks, so I can tell you about the WSIA, Water Sports Industry Association. Along with myself, want to remind you to wake responsibly this year. And here are three easy steps to do so. One, stay 150 feet away from shorelines and all objects, boat docks, fishermen, jet skiers, and other boaters. Number two, your music. Guys, you can jam. I jam out all the time. All I'm saying, do it at reasonable levels. If you can hear it behind the boat while you're riding, chances are folks all around the lake can hear it. And chances are they probably don't like what you're listening to. It's all right to play your music, guys, but just be respectful. Number three, cut the repetitive passes down one shoreline. Switch it up and utilize the entire lake and bring those repetitive passes to a minimum. Give everyone on the lake this year a chance to see your talent and at the same time, keep the neighbors happy. As listeners and and as ambassadors to the sport, I ask you not only to follow these three easy steps, but promote them as well. Let's keep our sport alive and growing for the next generation of lake lovers and water sports enthusiasts. You can find out more on the WSIA's Wake Responsibly Initiative online at WSIA.net. 
Now let's get back to Sean Kilgus right here on the Golden Mike podcast. Well, you and you just kind of touched on it before. You said people always laugh about like the helicopters and <laughs> stuff like that, and like, I, but it's cool. But I gotta like ask you, like, how much does that matter? to the to the process you know like these these like super high-end cameras and these like super because you know now you look at people and they're literally making great films on an iphone right well i wouldn't say great films or great I w- and i'm not <laughs> great even great I, I have to i have to protect not just my films in the sense of filmmaking but very much so the efforts of justin ron mark bame all these guys that did films before me and and during that and, and even in any other sport, snowboarding, TGR, the guys from, you know, different different big production companies, I mean, they put so much effort into the production. And it is about the, the right light, the right shot, the right camera. I think you can do, you, sure, you can show a sport without shooting it with a 5K camera and slow motion and all this stuff. I think you can overkill. I for sure made those mistakes. It's too much production not and losing the whole purpose of what you're out there to do sometimes you get you get on that trail of like i wanted to make it look so amazing that you forget that you're adding too much pressure to the situation to the riders to everything else or risk i mean helicopters two helicopters three helicopters like it's just ridiculous right i mean i could tease myself for those for those kind of maybe critical errors or maybe close calls but at the same time some of the most amazing cinematic moments i've ever seen were when the when the filmmakers took the time you know, to make the shot amazing. I mean, I mean you changes. think of Art of Flight, you think about these films where it, it was such amazing content that you're like, I've never seen something like that before. I'm, it changes the dynamic, though. You know, when I, I assume that when when Harley and everybody shows up to Blue Lake and there's a couple of helicopters right there, these dudes are like, okay, well, this is not just a regular day of wakeboarding anymore. No, and it's, you know, I think that it definitely ups the level. I mean, I think that they, it was my way of trying to be on the athlete's elite level, like their elite level riding. I wanted, I was matching that with a helicopter and a high-speed camera and a six-man crew, and this is going to be freaking amazing, guys. And, but I felt like, I look back, I look now where things are with social media and maybe it was going to happen regardless, but I haven't seen, I mean, I see guys like Rathy doing beautiful work. I see these other guys doing films. Now I'm not, I'm not paying this close attention, but I know that filmmaking as a way, what it was is seems like it's going away because of social media across all genres, every sport. I don't feel like filmmaking, they're not big films aren't coming out anymore. Like they used to. How do you, how do, how do you deal with that? Because you put you know, 16, 17 years of hard efforts into wakeboard filmmaking. And now you've got guys coming out who are putting out stuff that's getting seen. And maybe they don't have that background that you have. And maybe even like a trained eye will look at some of these and, and see these mistakes and whatnot. Well, I think, I think it's going to come down to, you know, it's almost like the, the people who followed my films are they still even watching wakeboarding? Are they still a wakeboarder that watches films? I, sometimes I think about, I was part of that last generation and I feel like all of us in that generation have since probably retired or come close to it or kind of on their way out anyways. The new generation of kids in general is just so social media, it's everything else. It's, it's, it's just content, it's not quality. And I think that that's unfortunately the way everything is now. It's not just action sports. I just look at it as, I'm grateful that I got to do it when it mattered. When I truly feel like filmmaking mattered, I got to be a part of that. And that's that's huge. I'm so grateful for that. And the way I deal with that now is that since I can't necessarily continue doing wakeboarding films because I just don't think that there's there's no money, there's no opportunity to but, do but But there is a bit of a want because you know that maybe you're not getting tens of thousands of people, but you know people are still asking for you to come back and make another movie. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I, whenever I'm out filming with like different people and wakeboarding, people are like, oh, when are you going to make another film? And I'm like, man, I would love to. I, In fact, you know, we talked to TGR about it. I talked to Red Bull. It's like, I'd love to do something with somebody. I mean, I've talked to Dowdy. I've talked to, I mean, I, I'd love to make a film. I really would. I think my passion and my priorities are where they were and they don't need, it doesn't need to be all about helicopters and this and that. I mean, I think I just, I think I've simple, simple is better. And I think just making, try to make a classic wakeboard film would be fun, but I just don't even know 
you know, maybe 5,000 people would appreciate it versus 100,000 people would have appreciated it before. Right. And so that's probably, do you accept that as like, well, I guess that's good enough. You know, it was kind of, for me, it just seems like my passion is still with these athletes. I still love these guys. I still love what they do and appreciate their athleticism. And I would love to document it in another film, but there's, I don't know how to make it happen. Right. And it's just kind of like, well, so I think that the way that I deal with maybe that door closing in an aspect of even a creative door closing there, not an opportunity is I try to find it. I've done three feature films this last year. I've done commercials and all these different things. And I try to at least find the passion and, and, and what I can deliver for other people. If, if wakeboarding films are dead, if wakeboarding films are done, then I can't be done too. I need to continue to see what I can do as a filmmaker in other places. And that's what I've done. I didn't, I gave my heart and soul to wakeboarding for almost 20 years. I couldn't give anything more physically, mentally, emotionally to that sport. And for best and the worst, some things were successful and some of the, some of them, you know, were strikeouts. But the biggest thing is I felt like my heart was in the right place and I did it for the right reasons. Now it's about seeing where, what else is life? What else is there in life to pursue and, and to make me a, a better person? And that's what I'm doing every day. So you took your three-year kind of hiatus from, from the scene. You, you moved away from Orlando. You went back home to Washington. And now you're back. You're back down here. Um, and I have seen some stuff of you being out in the boat, being back riding. I'm sure that if there's a camera in the boat and somebody's riding, you're not just not pressing record. So when you do get that opportunity to be out there with the boys and you do get the opportunity to maybe just film for fun or maybe shoot some clips or whatever, or help somebody like Jake Snyder or whatever, um, is it more rewarding now? Does it, is it, is it more fun for you at this, at this time? Yeah. I mean, the, the cool thing is, is that what I realize is I still love wakeboarding as a wakeboarder. Um, as much as I did, when I was a kid, I still love going out there. I was, we go out there, Jake and I, or Mike Conradi or Jim Campbell, or, I mean, it literally, we got this group of guys, Bob Sitchell and I still get out and we shred and Bob, I mean, he, Bob actually rips. He's like still killing it. Jake's actually like learning new flips and tricks. He's still passionate about, I'm like, you know what, if I can touch my board, that's a trick. If I can do, you know, I, in fact, last week or two weeks ago, I had one of the best, I mean, I, I thought I was done wakeboarding cause my back and just my body's banged up and I'm like, okay, well, but I went out there and I did like a half cab wing, a back 780, a back roll and a switch three land and wrapped. And, and I remember just being like, dude, that felt like it did. And you know, the first time you land a trick, it's almost like getting tricks back or the passion for, for wakeboarding has never left me. And I think now that I don't, there's no pressure. I can just go wakeboard for fun and there's, I don't have to film. I can if I want to. And now it's like, I almost want to help the kids that maybe don't have notoriety or whatever. I can go out there and film with amateur kids and make little web edits because I know how much they need it and appreciate it. The, it pre and the pressure's got to be off too. I mean, you're not necessarily under this microscope anymore. You no, know? I mean, I, and it's funny because I, is there even a microscope anymore? Is right. like, is what used to be the microscope, does it exist anymore? I mean, it, I feel like it did as, as early as three years ago though. I mean, like... It definitely when, felt like when I put out Prime that there was still... But since I put out Prime, I feel like in the last three years, I, I don't know, where where is the, is the sport still alive? Because I see the passion in these athletes. I see the, I still see these amazing guys riding on the most elite levels. Well, the progression out. is still there. Progression is still there. And that's why I want to make a movie. When I was filming the double up contest for MasterCraft, like watching Steel Lafferty doing double indie mobs and just, and busting half cat, double half cap rolls out in the flat, out in the flats, I was like, oh my God, I need to be making a movie. Like we need helicopters. We need, we need to show this sport on this elite level because the riding is better than it's ever been. But the, the crazy thing is, is do you hire a $4,000 helicopter for a 15 second clip? Is it worth it? Right? Not anymore. Not anymore. Unfortunately, I think the riders, a lot of the riders still believe in it. And I would freaking take the riders and I would, I would lock down their, not lock down their social media. What I mean is 
I'd be like, dude, keep everything, everything on the, in the can. It's all about the story. It's all the progression. We're going to these places. We're filming these movies. We're going to do two weeks over here and film like we would do a classic. The writers film. don't have the patience anymore. The end users don't have the patience anymore. And that's what's so crazy. It's like, well, and maybe, so maybe I'm, like I said, I'm just like the old need to be put out to pasture and shot because I'm just kind of like, I still believe in, uh, in an art that may be dead. And, and some of the writers believe in it too. And it's kind of funny. Sometimes I'm like, I was talking to daddy about that. I'm like, you know, maybe we're just making this film for ourselves. Maybe it's just kind of like, it's kind of like a futile way to hold on to something that used to be everything that everybody was. And now it's no longer there. Hey, so I want to talk about, um, some of the people and, uh, some of the personalities, um, you know, you, you've, you've worked with the best, and I think we've already talked about some of those names, but one project that I find very interesting in the history of wakeboarding is the MTV show Wake Brothers. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I got an opportunity to be a part of it slightly. I, they they kind of poached me and my likeliness and my voice and stuff like that. I was kind of bummed, but um, at the same time, it was cool. I was on MTV, right? Uh, you... You actually had a behind-the-scenes role in that, right? Well, yeah. So it was actually because Defy came out, and then the production company that was, I think they were looking at, well, what does wakeboarding really look like now? Um, they saw Defy as their like kind of benchmark of like, okay, well, we want it to be like this. We want to go to this blue lake and do these things. And that's what I think they pitched to MTV execs when they were making the show is like, here's some stuff that we'd like it to look like. And so they, they reached out to me not realizing that I made Defy about who shot it. And I said, well, it's my movie. And they're like, oh, well, then you're the guy we need to talk to. And it was like, so they ended up offering me um, a director of photography role on the, on the series. And there's actually two DPs. There was one, typically there's only one DP and there'd be a second unit DP, but it was kind of an interesting thing. They wanted me to have the ability to direct the creative, the action, the kind of the beauty of the show, the time lapses, the in and outs, the, you know, kind of everything but the reality. And so I'd still do the reality scenes if there wasn't anything creative or beauty or action to shoot. But then I got to do the high speed film stuff and all the cool shots. I got to do all that. So that was kind of the opportunity that came from that. But it was one of the most exciting moments in my career because it was like three months making, you know, more money than I've ever made in, in for working because it was a full-time day rate gig, you know, five days a week. And I learned a lot about TV. I learned about production. I learned about a lot of things I hadn't had any experience in. So it was a cool, cool step in the right direction past wakeboarding filmmaking. What about your, what about the boys? Because here's the thing. I, I think it's no secret that people know what we see on reality television isn't necessarily the reality of what happened then and there. Yeah, I mean, it was there was a little bit of everything. There's some stuff that they they come up with these ideas and then they would you know try it and then see what the react the re, the reality of some of the stuff was that how people reacted. They're like, that's the only real part about this is the reaction to what they created, right? Some stuff they would just do crazy things to Phil just to make him so angry, just to get a reaction out of him because the reaction was real. He was pissed, but. I just realized I think that's what TV is. I think that their TV is probably one of the hardest things because people now with social media, like what's the wow factor anymore? How do you get people to go, wow, that's crazy when you have to do insane things to get people to watch? So I think that the challenge is that they had to be so creative and so whatever and extreme that it probably was just, how do you just let you know, go watch them eating breakfast. And is, how is that interesting? Right. So you had to create some crazy thing like a llama in the shower to make people think that's funny and to get the, you know, turn the heads. Now, what about like working with the personalities? You know, obviously at this point in 2018, Phil Sovin is on a hiatus or retired from wakeboarding. Bob is still floating around somewhere. I, I think I, I don't see him very much, but he, it, I think he's doing some good things for the sport. Um, but like watching those guys grow with the, with the show and, and how do you think that affected them and the aftermath of that? And, and it would, not just Bob and Phil, but like some of the other riders too, because you had like Adam Arrington and Jimmy LaRich and Rusty Malinowski and Dallas Friday. I mean, all of these riders were sort of a part of this show as well. You know, it's just, I can't, really put my finger on 
where where it would have affected anybody for better or for worse. I think sometimes it brought negative attention, but I think it just also brought attention. And so it's more or less, I can't gauge that because the sport itself is so different now. If the sport was still going in, in, in the way it was and people were getting paid and um, and those athletes that are, you know, Adam Arrington, these guys that are now retired, if they were still around make, getting paychecks and the sport was doing really well, if that show happened three years earlier and now it's 2012 and the sport's still doing really well, where are they at now? That'd be probably a good gauge of it. But it, it's impossible to know because the sport's so different now. There's less seems like people, even the best of the best riders are, are getting paid a fraction of what they used to, and the pool is so much smaller. So I don't think that the show did anything better or worse. I think Phil was ready to leave when he was ready to leave. He was ready, he'd been doing this his whole life. I think he was ready to go become a lawyer, and that's what he wants to do. And Bob's still being Bob. Bob is always very creative and intelligent, and he's always searching for a way to be that way. Sure. Know? Okay, so sticking with like the personalities um, and kind of going back to your to your films, um, have you ever had to? And I'm sure that the answer is yes. It's just how deep you want to touch on it. But like, like dealing with um, some of these like maybe more difficult personalities on some of these shoots, and maybe maybe you don't necessarily have to to say any names, but maybe some of those struggles. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely over the years had a lot of. I mean, you, you butt heads, you know, I butt heads with the biggest names in the sport that sometimes were some of the most stressful times in my career was butting heads with these huge names and wanting to wanting not, not wanting that to happen and wishing that there, there was a way to mend the fences. And oftentimes it takes time, um, to do that. But I mean, it's just, unfortunately, you know, I, I definitely butted heads with, you know, the biggest names in the sport, you know, pursuing my vision and them having their own vision and then sometimes there's egos and sometimes there's that kind of like waste of time energy that people all put into something that shouldn't be like that but unfortunately in a sport where appearances and identity is so important and it's a self-identity I feel like wakeboarders it's an individualized sport the you know you figure the brands are an individualized brand the filmmakers are an individualized filmmaker it's not like a team of filmmakers or a company coming into making films it's one guy it was me it was justin stevens it was ron i think that you have these individuals with such strong individual ambitions that bump into each other hard and sometimes it doesn't go well um but you know, all in all, I think that anything that was damaged in the past is now so far in the rear view and so far in the who gives a, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't matter anyways, you know, so for you, like, what did you get most out of your time in the wakeboard scene? Do you think, man, that's a, that I think there's so many things. I think I grew up. I definitely gained confidence in myself. Um, I definitely, you know, didn't necessarily have the identity or didn't know what my identity was. And maybe that's just part of about growing up. Right. It's like, and I think it was just, I was, I think I look back and I was just very grateful that I got to do what I got to do. And I got to like, every movie I made was my dream come true. Every time I got to be on the boat with Danny Harf or Watson or Rusty, or even Rusty was one of the kind of guys that brought it or came up early too. Um, but like, it was just, some of the most amazing dream comes true that I would watch a guy. I knew these athletes from movies and then I'm in their house and we're going to a party or we're going out to film and they're down beneath me. I'm in a helicopter and they're down there throwing a shock at me. I think those are just some of the most amazing moments of my life. And I made a lot, I made mistakes too. I made, you know, creative mistakes with my film sometimes that I regret that I wish I could go back and redo. Like even prime, I wish I could have made prime a different film than it was, but but at the same time, I also pushed myself and that was the name of the game is progression, progression, progression. And so I don't think I want to, I think that's what I realized more than anything is I got to forgive myself for the mistakes I made, forgive, forgive others for the mistakes they may have made and just be appreciative of that time. For sure, man. And, and I can, and I can appreciate that. Now I know that, I know you're, that you don't really follow as much as you used to, but you got to follow just a little bit still. Um, filming is something that's still going on maybe it's it's completely different it's a whole different world but there are still people who are getting behind the camera and doing their best to um to get this sport out there uh to doing their best to 
provide some exposure for the riders. So with that being said, um, from what you have seen, what do you like? Uh, filmmakers, who do you like? Well, I've been, I mean, I think I'm not watching things as closely as I, as I wish I could. I've, I mean, I've obviously I've kind of grown to really appreciate Jake Snyder's stuff. Cause I think he's a, he's a kid that who's like, Oh, I learned from, from you or whatever. And, and so I think I'm like, Oh, whatever, Jake, but he's, he's a really, I think he's got a classic eye and he's got, he's like loved, he loves water sports. And I think that he shoots things to make things beautiful, you know? So he's definitely a good filmmaker. Spencer Norris has always been somebody who I've always admired. I mean, he's incredibly on his own path and everything he does in life. And he's super creative. Um, you know, and even Taylor Hanley, I think he's like a kid that's making format. He's making formats film right now. And I've talked to him a few times and he's doing amazing stuff and, um, beautiful work and choosing to go very, very different than other people. And then I, and then Rathy, which is kind of crazy because Rathy was an athlete that, you know, um, him and I, like, I think our friendship or our whatever has come in a, in a better way now that he's not the athlete and I'm the filmer, but he's actually becoming a filmmaker and wants to do this he respects i think how hard it is how hard it is to make well, films you think of a guy like rathy and think about how how um you know how, how hard he was on himself back in the day with his wakeboarding and how everything had to be perfect i mean zero flaws when you saw what he put out there and i i see him doing the same thing in his video work as well yeah i mean he i think he's i think he found a new a new passion a new kind of outlet for his his he's got a he's got a big motor he's got a big freaking v12 motor in in his in his in his chest um that made him an amazing athlete and i think he's finding that with his um filmmaking and i think like i said it's i think it's humility and maybe it's growing up but it's just it's cool seeing rathy humble um to the filmmaking process because now it's not like hey can i outride these guys it's like can i be a better filmmaker than i'm not saying he's comparing it to me or justin or whoever the filmmakers were before him but he can go compare it to other filmmakers in the world doing anything else and be like holy i have a lot to learn right i think that he's very humble just like the rest of us i know that i have a certain things that I'm good at and certain things I'm not good at. And I try to work on the things I'm not good at, but you just have to be humble and appreciative and keep learning, keep learning. And that's like, and so that's like the advice. I wish I could tell people that if there was any kids that wanted to make wakeboarding films, that they did it, that they go back old school and they save it for a premiere with their buddies. Cause I think the most exciting thing in the world was when you got to premiere a film to a big audience of people. I mean, butter effect, defy like drive i mean all of my films were like i remember having like thousand people at a premiere and it was the most exciting moments of my life and most exciting moments for those athletes that got to watch their video section with a thousand people screaming their name like that was something that was real it wasn't on social media it wasn't on facebook it was just we were all there together phones are in our pockets and we're just because there were flip phones then and you're just looking at this amazing film and everyone's stoked and that was the that's what filmmaking was in wakeboarding for that for that longest time and hopefully people will realize that it was a lot more that was lost than they realize it was those shared moments together you know so absolutely man so here we are dude as, as we get ready to kind of close this thing out um you've, you've stepped away from the wakeboard scene but you're still very active i follow you on um social media i see that you have a camera in your hand all the time. The other day I saw you filming some SWAT team. I've seen you filming some snowmobiling. I've seen you filming um, kayaking. I've seen you filming some pretty crazy stuff, but but break it down. Where are you at? What are you up to these days? Yeah, right now, I mean, um, well, I got married, so that's a really awesome thing. I got married, and I have a little 10-month-old son, Benjamin, and that's been a, a really fun change of life, and a pace, and, and priorities change when you have a family, because you're like, you want to be home. You don't want to be on an airplane traveling all the time. I traveled so much when I was younger. Now it's it's nice to be home every night. Um, so I think that, like, doing more production service for hire kind of thing, like, hey, doing, like, a swimming schools films, but try to still apply the passion and the vision for my art to that, um, SWAT team stuff, just intense energy moments and, um, 
and I do stuff for CrossFit brand. I do videos for the, the, you know, their big brand, their big journal. Um, it's exciting. I shot the CrossFit games. It's like, I, I, I like to do CrossFit and I, I want, I've always been into fitness and trying to be as healthy as I can. Uh, it helps you with everything else, you know? And, uh, so I enjoy that. I think, I think spreading myself across 15, 20 industries is a lot better because it keeps things fresh. And so when I get to go out and film wakeboarding, I'm stoked that I'm out in the boat filming wakeboarding because tomorrow I may be doing a corporate shoot that's, I'm in a suit and tie and I can't, it's a little bit more boring. So I think that I appreciate the diversity now more than ever. Um, I think when I was in the boat seven days a week filming wakeboarding, I probably took it for granted or just was burned out. And I think stepping away, coming back, you just, you just learn that it's all about balance of life. And if you can, however you can balance your life is what's most important. Cool, man. Kilgus, thanks for having me over here, dude. This has been really, really awesome. And it's, it's funny cause I've got a super long list of just bullet points to chat with you about. So like we could probably do a whole nother, uh, episode and, <laughs> I would and, love to, and, and just get to that stuff. But, uh, before we fully finish this thing off, I always give, uh, my guests, the athletes, whoever's on here, the opportunity to, um, give some shout outs to sponsors or folks who have helped behind the scenes. Um, as well as like give give you a chance to let people know where they can see some of your stuff and follow you on that social media. So drop it. Yeah, I think uh, wow, it's so like I again like I would need an hour to to do a thank you list. I think if I looked at highlights in career where I was, it was the people who gave me a place to sleep. Sometimes it was a sandwich in a bed, and that's what I needed at the time to get to the next place. And you know, obviously people like Danny Harf will always be you know closest one of my closest buddies and someone I truly care about um and guys like Watson who gave me a place to sleep and gave me a chance you know I really appreciate those things Benny you know like I said Benny G I don't know just so many people in in the sport um but I I think it's just ultimately just people that the fans that bought my films and I'm just so grateful for that people gave me a chance to to do filmmaking um if you and right now so now it's like i'm just doing everything i'm doing some stuff in wake doing some stuff in feature film doing i got to shoot a movie with wesley snipes and nick cage last year and so those are kind of cool new things i share a lot of that stuff on my social media um and that's just sean kilgus uh, on instagram s-e-a-n-k-i-l-g-u-s and you can kind of see what i'm up to and so it's a bit of everything awesome Kilgus, this has been super rad. You got a beautiful house, a beautiful family, man. And, uh, dude, I'm, I, I'm a little jealous. I'm thinking the Claremont life might be the life. It's, you know, Claremont is a very awesome, just chill town. And we got the lakes right here. We got an awesome wakeboard scene out front. Just people are still wakeboarding out here. And that's, I love it. I'm still getting out there, try to get out there once a week and still wakeboarding. So my heart and my soul are still in the right place for that. I still love wakeboarding and still enjoy it. So. There it is. All right. Kilgus, appreciate it again. Follow him, S-E-A-N, Kilgus, on that uh, social media feed. Um, it, that's it for me, brother. You got anything else? Oh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, guys. Hang tight. We'll be right back with a little bit more right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Golden Mike Podcast listeners, get your boat looking brand new this summer with some custom Sea Deck non-skid traction. On your boat, in your boat, on the dock, or anywhere normally prone to slippery surfaces, even paddle boards and wake surfers. Sea Deck has a growing network of certified fabricators and installers covering the USA, Canada, Europe, and the South Pacific. And now it's easier than ever to have a Sea Deck professional take your project from start to finish. Go to SeaDeck.com, hit the custom button, on the website and look for the interactive map to locate a CDEC certified fabricator or installer in your area to schedule an appointment today. GoPuck, the leader in wearable power. GoPuck is the ultimate personal power solution to charge all USB-powered devices. Designed for those with an active lifestyle, you're able to clip, strap, or mount the power wherever you need, giving you the ability to easily rapid charge your devices multiple times hands-free. Three size options are available online at gopuck.com and you can use promo code MANO30 at checkout for 30% off. Again, that's MANO30, M-A-N-O-3-0 at gopuck.com. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. What 
What a legend. Thank you to Sean for having me over to record. His career has been so impactful, and I hope one day he does come back for another full feature film release. Is the industry ready for that? I don't know. You all decide. Let him know. Email or message Kilgus. Let him know your thoughts. Uh, how have his movies affected your lives? I mean, honestly, think about how many times you've popped in Defy or Prime or Butter Effect or one of his awesome movies just to get pumped for your next set. The answer is never. Well, my friend, you have some homework. Get it. And now, some dates so you can come see me live, my friends. This weekend, I'll be in Orlando. April 7th is the exact date for stop number one of the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour. Following weekend, I'm taking a break. I'm going on vacation. My pal P-Dubs is getting married. We're going to Costa Rica. But then I'm going to head right to Cancun, Mexico for stop number two of the Nautique Wake Series and the WWA Wakeboard World Series. It's the Nautique Wake Open coming at you live and in action from Quintana Roo, Mexico, just outside of Cancun. It's April 19th through the 21st. The G23 is going to be on hand, so don't miss it. Saturday, April 28th, back in Orlando for the Nautique Masters LCQ at OWC. Going to be a mellow day. I'm going to be announcing. I'm going to be playing some tunes, and I hope to see you guys there. Now, if anybody listening is interested in having me announce or commentate, maybe do voiceover work or appear at your next event, maybe you want to advertise on the Golden Mike podcast, Maybe you just want to ask me a question in general. Hey, maybe you want me to record a voicemail message for you. Email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. You can also message me through the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page. That's also the best way of purchasing official Golden Mike Podcast dad hats and t-shirts. Please remember to find and subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your Apple devices. Uh, You can also search any app store on your Android for any podcast app. You can usually find the Golden Mike Podcast there by searching the Golden Mike Podcast. All the archives are also available on SoundCloud and noiseofthenorth.com. Social media, again, at the Dano T. Mano, at the Golden underscore Mike on Twitter, at Dano, D-A-N-O-T-M-A-N-O, at Dano T. Mano on Instagram. And, of course, again, I'm almost there. We've almost hit 3,000 likes, guys, on Facebook. It's the Golden Mike Podcast. Find it, like it, share it. I'm almost at 3,000. Get me there. It's going to make me happy, and I'm already happy. So it's going to make me pumped. Thanks again to Sean Kilgus. And now a few shout outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thanks again to SeaDeck, Marine Products, Boulder Boats, Woodrose, Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, GoPuck, Footin.com, Wakeboarding.com, Hyperlight, Lead Wake, Conley, Ronix, O'Brien, Slingshot, Wakeboard, WSIA, Dennis Ruth on the web, and Rich Walsh on the audio. That's going to do it for today's show, and I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Lomano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.